Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Please Hustle Responsibly podcast. I'm Christina Veltri here with Christina Magro and Matt Cole. Um, today, we will be discussing compassion and empathy uh, with Kimiko. But first, I'm going to do a little self-care check-in with my co-hosts. Uh, Christina, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, today, it's one of those beautiful snowy days in Chicago, like the big picturesque snowflakes. And I don't know how you guys feel about snow, but I really like snow and it puts me in a beautiful uh, mood. And uh, as you all probably know, I have a puppy, so he's experiencing snow for the first time, and it's hilarious. So today's a great day. How are you doing, Matt? Uh, I'm good. I was going to comment on the snow, too. It's really nice. It was a nice little thing to wake up to. Uh, yeah, I'm good. Had a, had a pretty chill work week and got to have dinner with a very good friend last night uh, outside, safe spaces, obviously, but... Uh, it was really nice to get to get to hang out with someone that I haven't seen in a while. How are you doing, Belsby? I'm good. I am in the same place. I think we're all <laughs> in the holiday <laughs> spirit. I woke up this morning, saw it was snowing, and immediately was like, gotta get outside. <laughs> <laughs> um, so feeling pretty good about that. Um, Kimiko, how are you? I'm great. Um, I sometimes have an a kind of negative reaction to snow, but I did not have that this morning. It was beautiful. I too went out and appreciated how beautiful it was. Um, I feel like there's a sweet spot for like a for, for snow, you know, like uh, this is kind of the perfect amount for me. I like it when it comes and I like it when it goes. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, otherwise I'm, I'm great. I'm in, I'm in a uh, great spirit. It's really nice to be here. Wonderful. We are really excited to have you here. Um, I wanted to give a little background on how I met Kimiko. We just met this past summer through a mutual friend of ours. And I just immediately knew that there was something about her that I wanted to know more. She discussed going to school, but I didn't really get a chance to ask like right away what she was going to school for. I just acted like I knew. <laughs> and then at the end of it, I uh, asked and she um, told me about the Compassion Institute and I knew why I was drawn to her. <laughs> um, and one of the first things that you gave me is this card that says, I wish you happiness. Um, I keep it on my fridge. I think of it often. And I just love that very simple calling card. So I'd love for you to give us a little background about you, your connection with hospitality and, um, you know, your mindset on uh, happiness. <laughs> sure. Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, I take this as like a huge responsibility. Oh, we have K-Mug. <laughs> This is a huge responsibility um, for me, you know, to talk about compassion. I've been studying for, um, you know, like in class in September, since the end of August. Um, so I, you know, please will ask for your patience if I pause or if I say, you know, I don't feel like I should answer that question because I won't do it justice. Um, 
That being said, I grew up in a family with a father who absolutely loved eating out, still loves eating out, loved going to restaurants. And um, I was probably eight or nine when they decided they were going to do this, like experimenting with new cuisines, like once or twice a month. We And I was the one who had to go with. My sister was a little bit older and didn't have to. And, you know, so like we'd go and we'd try all these different foods. And, you know, my dad's like, do you want a, milk, do you want a mint shake? I was like, yeah, I want a mint shake. And it was salty. And I was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> uh, and it made me want, I decided I wanted to be like a reviewer. I wanted to do, be a restaurant reviewer for kids. Um, in restaurants where they didn't cater to children, you know, so I was like, I would want, I want to write reviews for Chicago Magazine and I want to, all the restaurants that we go to, I want to tell them what kids can order that they would like. Um, and uh, that kind of started me off on my love of restaurants, which I never did become a food writer, which is fine, but um, I really loved restaurants. And through, I think I would say through um, that first love, and then just kind of some pretty, um, you know, bad relationships as a child, like um, where I, um, you know, mistreatment, this is the, the standard stuff where you just don't get the love that you need or you don't get the, the affection or kindness that you need as a child to kind of set good patterns. When I first started working in restaurants at 15, I felt um, understood and I felt um, like that is, was a good place for me to be, you know, sort of a mis misfit environment, particularly I would say in the eighties, um, the hospitality industry has grown up so much and matured so much that um, the behaviors that you saw and the way that we lived back then was certainly a lot more reckless and a great home for um, broken, broken souls. Um, so I fell into a really awesome slash destructive lifestyle that has become a pattern of, you know, it kind of grew into my bones and grew into who I was um, for a really long time, even after I left, it just, you know, um, creating habits that aren't good for you. Um, can often be really well supported in that environment. And I, I, it's taken me years to kind of recognize, um, recognize that and start to address it. Um, and that's how I kind of came into, you know, changing lifestyles, et cetera. Wow, that was really long-winded. I wonder what that sounded like. <laughs> no, I think that's great. It's seriously, that was awesome. <laughs> And it sounds like not much has changed from the 80s within our industry. I think that there's definitely a little bit more accountability and more political correctness around, or at least there's beginning to be mm -hmm. that. Yeah. But I think that the people that are attracted to the industry are still, you know, misfits and broken people that are looking for that connection and um, family, for lack of a better word. Yeah, I, I very much still consider people who I worked with in the 90s to be very important in my life and family, mm -hmm. definitely. 
they were my people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my husband works um, still in hospitality and has, has been for, I guess, close to 30 years. Um, so I'm still very much attached to, I stopped working in hospitality proper um, about, I guess, 15 years ago. And then I DJed for a while. I did a lot of like speed rack events and um, I worked at like bars and restaurants in New York and kind of all over the world just because of my relationship with my husband. He was able to kind of like get me gigs. <laughs> um, that's totally, I, I'm, uh, that's not, I got my own gig, but he did help. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I've been, I've stayed really close with hospitality and in the last, you know, I mean, every year someone commits suicide or overdoses um, and in our, in my marriage and in our relationships, we lose someone pretty much every year, if not more frequently. Um, and I know you guys suffered a, a pretty big loss last year, um, someone in the industry, but I don't think it was suicide. I think it was maybe cancer, but I know, um, you know, we, we take our people really, you know, their family. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the inception of support staff was um, a suicide completion by a very close friend of our founders. Um, so we definitely take mental health, mental illness, and, you know, like the, I think that, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that this is our mission to, you know, I don't want to say save lives, but like give, let people know that they're not alone and hopefully make an impact that could save a life. Well, I mean, why not, why not go big? You know, I mean, with, with humility, you know, I, you know, why not say that? Yeah, if we can save one life. I mean, I, I, that's not an arrogant statement. I think that we should want that as a general in life if I can save a life I, I I would be very happy to do so you know yeah yeah I think we found ourselves just feeling a little bit lost and like searching for resources or like trying to help ourselves but like not really knowing how and then also not being able to realistically afford Mm -hmm. like the services that we all desperately needed and I think that's like the main desire of what we started to do is like I was looking around at all of my friends drinking um and like not really knowing how to deal with this intense grief and also this extremely traumatic situation and we were all kind of leaning on each other for support but also like our cups are all empty and we have nothing left to give so we're just sloppily supporting each other with alcohol and other things because that's the only way that we knew how to cope in that moment and frankly could afford to cope in that moment so I'm super proud of what we've accomplished so far and um, I'm excited to see uh, what we can accomplish in the future for sure and I think it all it all starts with a little bit of empathy and compassion towards one another 
-hmm. especially during these times. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, um, I strongly suspect that the reason I was, I know the reason I was initially drawn to restaurants was a healthy reason, love, but I, I suspect the reason that I stayed with it was because I was too poor to get services and self, you know, medicating is much easier to do when you work in hospitality. Very easy and very accessible. Yeah, and very dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to shift just a little bit and um, I'm curious how you were um, introduced to the Compassion Institute and what, what drew you there? Sure. Um, on a much grander scale, I realized my purpose this past year is kind of towards um, bringing happiness into all of my encounters, um, or trying to. I mean, that's lofty. But again, like trying to save a life, you know, might as well go go big, you know. Um, and I had like a really bad spiral out of control situation in 2017. I started, I stopped drinking for six months. I started working out every single day. Um, I just found a couple of tools to like kind of um, at least elevate me enough to where I could start to question whether or not I could be a happier person because um, I was miserable. Um, and that took me a couple of years, um, to kind of just get stabilized. I actually, I stopped taking antidepressants because they were having a, I, I was on them for like 30 years. So it was at, it was a point where I was like, what's this shit doing for me anymore? I felt really flat. Um, and that was scary and hard and I don't recommend it for everyone. So I'm certainly not saying don't, don't take antidepressants, but I needed to establish a baseline. And so I stopped, um, and the working out every day kind of supported that, um, which there's science behind. Um, and after a couple of years, I felt like, all right, well, what do I want to do now? And how can I move forward? Because I'm still not very happy, but at least I'm sort of stable. Um, and I had a, one of my best friends was like, you know, you should start meditating. And I was like, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and, um, and then, um, sorry, excuse me, damn likely. All right. <laughs> I'll say no to that. Um, <clears throat> I was like, yeah, whatever. And she said, well, how about, you know, read the book of joy. And I was like, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll read the book of joy. And, uh, it's, uh, his holiness Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu. And if you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. And I read it and I was like, and I've always really loved the idea of Buddhism. And I'd read a lot of Buddhist books when I was in my twenties and just kind of rejected it. Cause I didn't want to be, I wasn't ready to take care of myself. And it was like, Oh, this is saying that I need to be balanced. I was like, I'm doing that. Um, but so I read the book and I really loved it. And there was a part in the book where, um, they discuss, um, a book called, um, the fearless heart by, uh, Jinpa. and it's all about compassion. Um, and I believe in the book, they also talk about the compassion Institute. And I was like, Oh, this, you know, sounds like maybe a good path for me because I had looked at going back to school. <laughs> back to. Um, I had kind of looked at that and all of the universities were kind of like, you know, they didn't have, I, I know what I want. I want to help people. I want to help people be happier. But uh, like, I was like, I'm not fucking taking geology. Like that's never going to happen, you know? So anyway, Compassion Institute through Stanford University. Wow, that sounds legit. I'll check it out. Um, and I, um, you know, I read 
the fearless heart and then I looked into compassion Institute and um, I um, you know enrolled into the program and it just really aligned I mean I'd I had already had those cards that I gave you um, printed up and I was like well, this just all seems you know like I really just want people to be happy I want me to be happy nobody seems to be happy right now and this is even before the pandemic I'm like what can I do to like you know support that and maybe you know start trying to figure out what it means to get a little bit happier um so that's how I came to the institute and um I ended up uh, taking the eight-week program last year in January. And the founding um, faculty and most of the faculty are um, like PhDs. You know, there's a neuroscientist. Um, there's a professor who was one of the founding, um, one of the first students of MSBR, which is um, mindfulness based stress reduction. She's worked with John Kabat-Zinn for, you know, 30 or 30 plus years, you know, like these are like the heavyweights. I was like, I'm totally in awe of, of the faculty of this program. Um, so I, you know, was like, I'm going to try and enroll to become a teacher. Um, and was like, there's no way they're going to accept me. Um, but they did, you know, which is nice. So now I'm um, kind of getting through, um, I have an intensive next weekend. Um, and then I start teaching the practicum in February or March. So does that answer? That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, I just, I want to I comment on something you were saying. You were saying that you weren't ready to take care of yourself. And I think that's such an important thing to like recognize when you're taking steps forward and trying to do things, like whether you're actually committed to yourself and the things that you're trying to do, like really makes the ease of doing those like so like so much more real because if you're not ready to take those steps then you're just like you're not really you're not you're on a treadmill you're just moving in place and yeah. I, I don't think enough people really talk about the fact that like, you need to be ready to to do that for yourself you need to be able to do things for yourself in general yeah i think that's huge i also think that it's really important to recognize that making a commitment to taking care of yourself can be a really, really small thing. You know, it can, I, I am realizing that I spent many years saying, you always fuck this up. You never do this right. I'm never drinking again. You know, like I'll never send that to another text message to that person. I'll never call that person. Like all of these always and nevers you know, um, and, and, and then there's failure that comes right after that. Um, so I think it's really important to recognize that making a commit commitment to taking care of yourself can actually come in really small increments. You know, it's, for, for our purposes, it's like drinking one less day of the week, you know, or drinking one less shot, or, you know, taking two minutes to walk around the block before you go to the bar because you're really angry, you know, because someone said something shitty to you and having, having a shot, you know, it's like, I'm going to take two minutes before I have the normal response of doing this thing that's probably not so healthy. You know, it's just the pause, you know, that it's like the first thing that you can do to like, say, all right, I'm, I'm going to do something to try and take care of myself. Yeah. You know? I mean, I had so much fail. I've had, I've had so much failure in the, I want to take care of myself department, you know, 
when I think coupled with like people such like have such a reaction to like those around them and want to compare themselves to those around them and then you like add that to that and you're just digging like a very deep hole and you're like well they're doing this and I'm not doing this and it's like if, if you can stop comparing yourself to other people and realize that everyone's growing at their own pace and doing things in their own time in their own way like they've probably got tons of fucked up shit too and you're just they're just making a step in a positive direction for them even if it is just like one inch at a time well that I mean that you just said a couple of things there um, about self-compassion and about common humanity in general. So this particular program is an eight-week program, um, and it's basically like starting a fitness program. You know, like you go in, you're gonna like you go to the gym. You're like, I'm gonna do 15 minutes. You know, and that and that for me is how I start working out again. I was like, I'm gonna do 100 days of 10 minutes a day, and that's how I'm gonna start. And now it's been almost three years that I've worked out every day. So like you start with something small. Um, and with this program in compassion, you start with settling the mind. The first week is you settle the mind and you, you're learning about the practice of like just sitting and settling the mind. And it evolves over the eight weeks, but two weeks are spent on self-compassion and loving kindness to yourself, you know, which is where you say, okay, you know, sometimes I make mistakes, but I'm going to give myself the love I need, you know, and, and be kind to myself and yes, other people might be doing it this way. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it myself this way. And I'm going to give myself the care and attention that I need in order to do the things that, that are going to make me better or healthier or happier. And then the common humanity aspect, which comes in around five, five weeks, it's that, it's that uh, other people in, in the same way that they might be doing things in a way that you perceive as being better, it's different or or, you know, they're struggling as well. We don't know about other people's internal struggles, you know, and just like, just like them, we want to be happy, you know, and we owe that to ourselves and we just don't know what other people's struggles are, you know, so recognizing that, you know, we all, we all suffer kind of can help you feel better about your, your situation. Yeah, maybe that person, you know, lost 40 pounds or, you know, got a promotion or whatever it is but there's something going on within them that that they're struggling with as well you know we're all we're all struggling so i don't want to make any assumptions but based on what you've told me how did you adapt to focusing on self-compassion like before focusing on others <laughs> well-being it seems like it would be a challenge. So um, it, the last few weeks, it's gotten a lot. Listen, the last few weeks, it's gotten a little easier. I mean, shit, <laughs> you know, like if that says anything to you about how hard the idea of self-compassion is, you know, like I'm paying attention at such a micro level. I'm like, um, so before I started this, this, the, the program, I took the class and the self-compassion part was really great. I loved it. I was like, oh, this is like a treat for me and I can use this. And, but I didn't really have any challenges. It was January and February of last year before the shutdown. My life was pretty good. I'd just been in Brazil. I felt pretty great about life in general. And I was like, self-compassion, I love this it's a great tool. I'm gonna use it. And then the shutdown happened, everything happened. I lost all my income, you know, all of these things came together and you know I feel really fortunate that I didn't completely spiral out of control at that particular time so I was like I'm gonna enroll in this program I'm gonna learn how to teach compassion and I did that and I also enrolled in another program about workplace burnout and I started both of them in September 
and I came here to Chicago from Paris, which um, I usually live in, in Paris. And I have a very stable kind of existence there. And I was like, I'm going to come back to Chicago and I'm going to live with my brother on this couch and I'm going to help him with his kids. And I'm going to do these two programs and I'm going to, you know, keep drinking, you know, a couple of times, if not every day of the week. And, you know, but I'll be in a compassion program. So it'll be great, you know, and holy shit. Like I spiraled like so hard. I was like, why can't I give myself compassion? Why do I keep fucking up? Why can't I give myself compassion? Why do I keep fucking up? And it was like, two of the most intense and painful months. So, um, I mean, that's full disclosure of giving yourself compassion is not an easy thing. Um, it's, a, it's a practice, you know, and that's why they spend, why you start the second, the second week is loving kindness towards a loved one. And the examples we give when we teach it is, you know, if you can't, like, don't, don't use like, don't use someone who can, you know, trick. don't use a big one. Like, yeah, you should use your mom or you should use your dad, but that's probably not a great idea. You know, use your puppy, you know, use, I, I have a friend who uses Dumbledore, you know, like she has a really hard time finding anyone in her life who represents something stable and loving that she can, you know, send compassion and loving kindness to for practice. You know, so the second week, that's what you do. You find someone who's really easy for you to want to feel good about and you want to like help if they're suffering. You want to help if, you know, you want to send love to. And then three and four is compassion and loving kindness for yourself. And you like, you know, the practice is great, you know, and you begin to recognize the value and, and why you do these things, but it's not always going to work and it's practice. You know, and then you have to say to yourself, okay, well, all right, I feel bad. It's okay that I feel bad, you know, and what do I need right now to like feel better? Um, and I'm really realizing that some of it's quite physical. You know, there, is a pra there are practices that we do where you actually evoke love, like you, rem you have a memory of something, of a time when you felt great love and you, you evoke anger and you have a memory of what it feels like when you have anger. And I've been playing around with the idea of, evoking love towards someone else and then imagining what it feels like if I applied that to myself. Um, it's, it's not easy. <laughs> it's not, it's really not. Um, and it's a lot, it's a lot to ask yourself to say, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to, I'm going to practice this. You know, it's, I think that we're hard in general on ourselves um, are like just as, as human beings as comparing minds um, and then within, within this industry, you know, it's a struggle to survive, you know, like there's a lot of autopilot and, you know, I'll think about that later and I'll drink, I'll drink, I'll drink it away. You know? So that's a um, long-winded response to a short question, I think. <laughs> so. That's perfect. It actually leads into another question that I have about, um, you know, being in a fast paced environment, such as a restaurant, what are some practices that we could utilize to have compassion rather than having that initial reaction of freaking out or lashing out at another person? Well, and that kind of goes back to the um, comparing and common humanity like aspect of things if you can take a moment to pause and realize that we're all struggling you know when someone's in front of you who is setting you off you can take that moment to say this person's struggling as well you know how can I 
take this moment to respond rather than rather than react you know and to know that even though on the surface we seem like very different people particularly right now we're all really struggling mm -hmm. you know and i can i mean i know that that's a huge ask and challenge knowing what i read in the media about how confrontational people have been because they're so scared um but it feels good to give people that space and for me that's the biggest upside to taking that moment and trying to like recognize that this person's coming from a like clearly a very like dysregulated place and i have the opportunity to, to like practice compassion here because i have you know i've thought about it and i, I that's the human i want to be um, but i also have some like smaller like for me at one point i I just started saying to myself, all right, they're doing a thing, you know, and it's not personal, you know, whatever, like in the car, when you like, when I want to lose my shit because someone does something, I'm like, all right, they're doing a thing and it clearly has nothing to do with me, you know, so I'm not going to make this personal, you know, and uh, I use the doing a thing a lot, <laughs> you know, and I know it's hard. It's a lot harder when you're in, in that immediate moment with a customer who is, has clearly lost their shit but it's also you know like i i i feel strongly like wow i feel for you you must really not be well you know and without pity because like that sucks you know but just like a, a genuine feeling of you must really be coming from a bad place and yeah i am too but i have i can take this moment you know and and see that you're suffering and ask how can i help and not necessarily out loud but you know how can i help is a thought that you can have or how what's the compassionate thing to do in this moment mm -hmm. you know does that answer that a little yeah bit? i think that also touches on like how to train to have like a subconscious response of compassion and really it's just taking that moment which rather. doesn't come easily that's practice, 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 practice. Yeah. You know, but you're, when you have the opportunity, when you have something in front of you, like, like the, when I took that, that class and I was like, oh, self-compassion, I'm going to use this as a tool. And it was like all like rainbows and butterflies because my life was in a really good place. And then putting into practice when my life was a dumpster fire, I was like, you know, it's not, it, it's harder. <laughs> it's harder to do that. You know, but you but gotta, I also think that there's an importance to practicing something when things are easy rather than only do it. <laughs> yeah like specifically in restaurants it's like when there's downtime and it's slow don't lose the basics to how you should be operating when things are busy otherwise when it gets busy you're like oh fuck <laughs> and then everything falls apart but if you just like maintain that practice even when you don't have to you can apply it when there's the there's not the time to apply it <laughs> right right i mean you just said it right there i mean that that is it you, you practice when things are easier so that when they aren't you have those skills mm -hmm. i mean i i remember i was talking to my my therapist in paris a couple of years ago and i was like do you meditate and she was like oh yeah i meditate every day and i was like do your kids meditate and she's like no they don't need it and i'm like that's why that's why they meditate now because when they do need it, they'll, it'll be right there for them. Yeah. Um, 
I think it's so funny how we don't think about that. You know what I mean? Like, I'm going to do the things now when, when it's a little bit easier so that when it's hard, it's yeah. easier, <laughs> you know? I actually, so I love that you just brought that up because I just had this conversation with my sister because her son is six. So he's, you know, growing and going through some stuff, having a hard time concentrating. He's a six-year-old and she's having a hard time dealing with it. And I was like, why don't you try to do a guided family meditation? What will probably happen is your kids will fall asleep, but at least it's like eventually they'll be able to stay awake for a little bit longer, concentrate for a little bit longer, and then apply these practices when they get older before they feel like, I don't know how to handle being anxious or just distracted. Yeah. <laughs> what, was the, what was her response to that? She said, she was like, that's a great idea. I never thought about that. And I was like, that's awesome. I mean, you have a lot of things to think about. I <laughs> am just speaking from the outside. So it's easy for me to speculate on what you should do. But um, yeah. I mean, that's, it's, it's awesome advice. I mean, my, my niece um, has some trauma and um, she does mindful powers a lot of days. And when I'm here, she does them most days. She's really young, but she had some some experiences when she was little, and you can see it, you know, pretty, you can see it. Yeah. And now she'll ask, you know, can I do mindful powers? And I'm like, which is <laughs> 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 awesome. I just I just read that. Um, I'm reading a book on talking like compassion, um, but we just don't invest in um, exploring how our minds work, so we don't really have the tools particularly in Western culture, we don't invest at all in, in helping children. And then now as adults, we, we, there's no investment has been made into understanding why our minds are the way they are, you know, and, and understanding that we don't have to entertain every thought that comes into our head, you know, and understanding that, you know, like how to like stop ruminating all of those things, you know, which does not, it's not part and parcel of the compassion conversation, but it is true, you know, like we find ourselves completely like, you know, on, on a ledge or spiraling out of control and we don't know how to manage our minds, which is scary. What, what do you think about the mentality of, it was hard for me. So, uh, I mean, I, I want to disclose that I am against this mentality, but I think that it's very common. Like it was hard for me, so it should be hard for other people. Yeah. And I think that I think that that is not only from businesses, like obviously the chef, the chef, um, but also parents with children, like parents who didn't have the practices that are available now and don't think about giving their children those practices because, like, I don't know if they want to toughen them up or what have you. But well. <sighs> Obviously, I, I don't agree with that mentality. You know, it, it's it's not healthy, you know. And I think if you investigate that the person or the, the company or the businesses that have those mentalities, you don't find, you know, you, you're not going to raise a healthy a healthy child, one who, you know, 
can support themselves when they when they fail, you know. Um, but in business, you lose, you know, you lose good employees when when you have that mentality. Um, you're it's just not financially um, smart to approach your staff in that way. Well, this is the way, or this is the way it's always been done. So this is the way we do it. Um, I'd like to think about that a little bit more because it's, it's, it's prevalent, you know, like it was hard for me. It should be hard. These kids today, they don't, you know, they don't know how good they, they have it. You know, the, the, I think, you know, that was a pretty strong um, mentality up through like the 50s and 60s and 70s. And then there was a turnaround that was to um, extra self-esteem, you know, and kids, all kids are, everything you do is great. Everyone gets a prize, you know, no, no teams win, um, you know, like we're all number one. Um, so I feel like on the one side, there's the buck up. And on the other side, there's the everyone's a winner. Um, and on both sides, you're not giving people coping skills. You know, you're not, it's not, you can't win all of the time. And then what do you do when you lose, you know, and you're looking around like, but that's not how I was taught, you know, and when you try and force someone to always succeed or, you know, to buck up, um, well, that's not happy, you know, it's not making happy people and the expectations are too high. And, you know, I know that um, college students right now are really, are really struggling. Um, there's that program through Yale, the science of well-being, and it, it came into existence because the messaging was you have to have the best job. You need to plan for, you know, to make a lot of money. You want to have a, a, a nice house great career you know and um there's no happiness in that there's no um there's no health in that and um yeah i mean i don't that's not a really solid answer to that question but okay I, I just i thought of it when we were talking about you know children and it was a it was a rogue question <laughs> I mean, yeah but it is it is super common in in restaurants you know it, it's uh, I mean, I've worked with chefs and been around chefs that are like, you know, if you if you don't work 60 hours a week, 20 off the clock because you're coming in to get your things done and do this and you're not really doing it. And it's like, well, actually, then you're just working with people who are taking advantage of you and taking advantage of your time and who aren't actually fully invested in your growth, you know, which is a lot of people because it is a super fast paced environment and there's so much going on. And it's like, it's, you know, I think it kind of harkens back to Christina's question of like, how do you train yourself to do these things when it's busy? Because when it's busy, it's easier to just, you know, lash out or just kind of walk away or just be not in it. Um, and so you expect, you expect everyone to do the things that you did when what we should really be reaching for is growth and, you know, continuous advancement. And like, yeah, like I did these things and they sucked. So why would I want anyone else to do them? You know, if, I, if we want them to be happy, we want them to grow, we want them to be nurtured and supported and fulfilled and not like miserable, miserable fucking people. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's that you hit the nail on the head there. How'd that work out for you? You know, uh, like, I'm here now. 
<laughs> no, no, I mean, the question is like when, when people say, well, you know, that's not how, you know, when I had to do this, this is how we did it. And it was, you know, it was really hard. So why should, why shouldn't it be hard for you? And it's like, well, I, did that work for you? Was that good? Are you happy? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. I mean, like I, I spent a lot of time finding work environments that weren't like that, you know, and, and moved away from those places. And, good. uh, you know, like, cause it just wasn't my style. I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to come in here and work for free and be sad and miserable and work with these people who are also sad and miserable like I'd rather surround myself like these two and and be happy and you know and, and feel, feel good about myself and you know like enjoy my time uh, and that's that's what I look for now in, in work environments and people that I work with it's like can we be positive together can we grow together or like is this just going to be a continuous grind because if it is then it's not for me yeah great um so is there part of the Compassion Institute that focuses on compassion being applied to business plans and the return of investment that having compassion as part of your business or, well, I know that we've talked a little bit about like, you know, how it obviously, how compassion is clearly going to lead to happier people, more longevity, um, but I was curious if there were any Yeah, there are, um, there are a lot of studies that talk about um, what happens when you um, bring mindfulness or compassion into the workplace. I'm looking for this article. I think what for every dollar you spend on, um, and this isn't well-being, this is actually more focused on well, um, mindfulness and compassion. For every dollar you spend, you get $2 and like 33 cents back. Um, there, I mean, there are a lot of studies that support um, what happens to businesses when you um, when you invest in in you know mindfulness practices. Uh, and in the last twenty years, they've they've really increased those those studies um, and can come back with some scientific, some really great scientific data on on what happens for, for companies when they invest in that. I I mean, I kind of have been thinking a lot about that question because I'm I'm certain that no studies have been done in, within hospitality you know um, and the minds it I mean really you know people who own restaurants come, come into it for a lot of different reasons um, and very rarely are they thinking about the growth of their of their employees or the happiness of their employees um, I would say that's definitely a, a newer thing that I see a lot more now than I ever did before um, but I haven't really seen a lot of places really committed to um, to healthy practices within their their companies for hospitality. Why is I, this is obviously like you don't have to have the perfect answer for this because it's really just a conversation. But why do you think it is that in hospitality specifically, which is a person focused business, that's not part of, like, of course the guest is always part of the plan and their happiness and their return is part of the plan, but why is that same thought not extended to the employees who are part of the reason why the business is there, why the guests return, why the guests have a good experience? Well, why do you, I have a couple, I have a 
a few thoughts about that, but why do you, why do you guys think that's the case? I think because of the stigma of just being in the restaurant industry in general, and I'm not trying to like put all owners in a box, but the majority of owners, I feel like view folks as replaceable and kind of, they don't value um, the employee and their presence and how much they can actually impact the business and how they do bring people back, especially like I come from the bar side mainly. And like, if you can gain a regular clientele, not only are you guaranteeing yourself revenue, consistent revenue, but you're also helping the business out as well. And I think, um, and speaking from pers personal experience, the owners that I've worked for are lacking empathy because they haven't been in this situation ever, or they have, they were a bartender, a door guy, et cetera, et cetera, 25 years ago and have kind of forgotten what it's like to be on that side of things. And they see access to dollar signs and they're like, yeah, we'll just put our money into this. We'll hire someone to run this program. We'll come in and be like, why aren't things, why aren't we making more money? Uh, you need to change these things. And it's like, yeah, dude, you're not here day to day. You don't know why these things function the way that they do. And now you're like passing down these things. And so then you're putting stress on your management team without the proper support from you. And I think it just ends up with a lot of unneeded stress, extra stress on people's plates. I think that a lot of the businesses that um, put up the front that they are, you know, focused on their employees, like, this is a family. We want to extend hospitality one another. That that's a way to soothe their own feelings and like make them feel better without actually understanding that then on the flip side of things, they're always putting the guest, which means the money first. Um, and really that catchphrase of like, we're family, we extend hospitality to one another, like we're here for you is meaningless because there's no action behind it. If that was the case, like the guest would always be second, if not later in the priorities because, you know, if, if you're treating your employees well and they feel happy to be there the guests take care of themselves or like the business takes care of the guest in its own. Um, but the problem comes from the top when people don't feel supported and then everything just falls apart. And the problem comes with the verbiage of family. I feel yeah. like that's a tool <laughs> of manipulation. Like I'm not, I'm, I'm trying to get paid here. This is my yeah. job. Like <laughs> I did not ask for this, you know? Yeah, like, if we're I family, don't... 
<laughs> like I view you as like my drunk weird uncle. Like I'm gonna deal with you because I have to. But like I, I, I'm I done. I'm getting out of here. Yeah, like I, I this is a job that's supposed to pay my bills. Like I, I don't want to be your family. You know, I just want to like be in a safe work environment, be treated with respect, you know, like you can check the family stuff at the door. I don't give a shit about that. I would rather, uh, I would rather genuinely be treated well than be treated performatively well. Yeah. Like if we're family, why do I have to debase myself to explain what value I bring to your restaurant for a raise? Oh. <laughs> you know, like, and like you were saying, Max, like I, like I, I would rather work in an environment where you know someone who like is coming up and saying hello and checking in on me, like says goodbye, says like asks and is involved in like things that are going on in my life. Like, hey, you said you were doing this this week. How'd that go? Like that little bit goes so much further than an extra couple bucks an hour mm-hmm. sometimes. Uh, but you know, it's 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 nice to have someone who has, like we work with people that genuinely care about you rather than just like hey we're family what's up how you doing hey, we're uh, family and you're like my mom would never treat me this way yeah. <laughs> my mom would pay me 500 dollars an hour because i deserve it you know? yeah, i'm her special boy <laughs> well, so, i know i know we have talked about this in previous episodes about just how wrong the use of family is but i think that that's the only verbiage that people use to like show that they are for their staff even though like you said it is a performance word too so it's it's like such i feel like that's such dangerous water murky murky water Mm -hmm. to put yourself in absolutely i like most of so many people in hospitality are not tight with their they their, their family is their chosen family right now you now i've left i've left a family of like relationship like birth blood i've found this new family and now i'm now i'm with this these people who are trying to call me family and I'm, I, it doesn't feel good mm-hmm. so what do we think collectively the real words should be for showing that you are compassionate for your staff I mean, I don't, I honestly, this, this comes down to actually having an authentic approach and really understanding what you're, what treating your, treating your employees with authenticity, giving them some autonomy, um, you know, being transparent, mm-hmm. uh, giving them a space to talk about what they need. Um, I mean, you can call it whatever, whatever the fuck you want. If you call it a family and it's a healthy family, well, then that's great. You know, but throwing that, throwing any word on top of it's not going to mean anything unless you actually have the practices that go along with it. Yeah. You know, and I mean, it's funny. I was, this is just a really small example, but I was thinking about this morning because like, what would it look like to give, to, to show that to your staff, you know, to like make them feel like they have some sense of autonomy. And I thought about it for a while and there's this constant, my staff is, they, they all steal from me, so I can't give them any trust because they'll steal from me. And um, I remember working for Brother Jimmy's here in, in the 90s, and we had a very liberal comping policy. Um, like, really, very rarely would the owners come and say, that was aggressive, you guys need to rein it back in. Um, and you could, you could comp, you know, 
And but if you didn't bring a drink in that you gave away, you were fired immediately. Um, and to me, that breaks that chain of my my staff my my staff's going to steal from me, so I won't let them have any comps. So because they're going to steal, they're going to you know like giving your giving the people who work for you some um, faith and trust. Um, you know, I think is one example and i'm not saying that all places should be doing this but it, it was it was meaningful to to me and to the people who i worked with and we never really had problems with with theft um that's a really small example of how you show your your employees that you trust them and that you give them some some autonomy and it, it comes there are examples of that with like how you how you let your staff react to customer complaints or um, when they're disappointed with something when you give them you know some autonomy to to actually act on on things that happen within the restaurant those are actions real things that are transparent that let the staff know that you actually care about them as human beings and you trust them i don't know how that went with you guys I think, that's, I think that's a really amazing point and I'm I mean, feeling that. Yeah. Going. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just what you said, like, if, if you have the trust, you're not going to try to be deceptive. Whereas if you don't, you're going to do it anyway. And there's right. Yeah. So like, even if the owner doesn't think it's the right decision, you spending the time with these people know what's the right decision. So either you're going to do it honestly or try to hide it because all you're trying to do is ensure that this is like the best experience for another person. So, yeah. Um, okay. So how can we become better listeners while making ourselves heard at the same time? I know when we when we sent these questions to you I loved your response of just just the easy stuff <laughs> <laughs> well being being compassionate doesn't mean being soft or letting people um get over on you you know um I think the being a better listener. I'm not, I don't know how to answer that, to be honest with you. I really don't. Actually, sorry, I think I might have an answer. Please. <laughs> <laughs> I think that being a better listener empowers you to be heard because you aren't just waiting for your time to speak. You are actually taking in what other people are saying and applying it to what you think and your reasoning and giving people a real answer that's not just, I mean, we've all been part of those conversations where you're like, you were just waiting for me to stop talking. Um, and I think especially in conversations with, 
employers or authority figures and, or even, you know, parents where you're like, you're not hearing me. So it becomes confrontational and you don't want to have that conversation any further, which I think is why a lot of people stop speaking and stop trying to be heard. So yeah, I think, I mean, I think that the best way that I can say it is applying compassion to listening to other people and then speaking from an honest and true place would be the best way. That's awesome. I think you, I think you nailed it. Um, most of the time, people just want to be heard. So that just goes such a long way. I mean, I, I really think that you answered your own question and very, very well. <laughs> well, <laughs> um, and then kind of wrapping these up, I want to, I want to make sure that we discuss the difference between compassion and empathy. Um, Cause I think that that's, I didn't know that there was a difference until I spoke with you. <laughs> that's really important. I think. Um, so a lot of times the reason people don't, um, they shut down is, is the, um, okay. So empathy is when you notice, um, someone else is hurting and you feel that with them. So like, uh, like a mother with their child, when the child falls down and you feel that pain, like you literally feel that pain in your brain. That's like, there's a spot in your brain that lights up when you see someone suffer and you suffer as well. Um, and that's empathy is that, that feeling that you, that you get. Compassion takes it one step further. Compassion is noticing when someone else is suffering and wanting to do something about it. Um, and the, the action doesn't actually have, to, it can be discreet, you know, it doesn't have to be something where you actually go and do something. It can be just sending them, sending them wishes. Like, for example, um, for me, I can't give money every single time I see someone um, on the street and they want, want and need money and I feel and I feel bad and I want to do something and that I wish you happiness was born of that card was kind of born of that idea that when I see someone who's suffering and I can't do something about it in my head I say I wish you freedom from suffering um, I wish you happiness compassion is and that would be an example of compassion but when you practice compassion when you're actively in doing something compassionate it lights up the reward center in your brain so it's very different than just empathy where you where you see that they're hurting and you hurt too um, what happens when you're in compassionate mode is the reward center lights up and then everybody wins like you feel good you've tried to do what you can even when it's just sending that 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 well wish because you can't actually do something um, lost my train of thought but uh <laughs> the, the positive side of compassion is that you are rewarded for that desire to help um and um whereas with empathy 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 is actually the beginning stage that's the first step you know that you feel empathy and then and then it goes on into compassion ideally um and that's why i mean i think that's why this a program like this is so important be, is because healthcare workers hospitality workers are constantly wanting 
wanting to help and you burn out, you know, you burn out if you don't, if you can't take it into the mode of how can I help where you feel a reward, where you see the reward in doing it. That was actually my next question is how do you practice without burnout? Well, I, I, I mean, it, that's practice, you know, it, 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 that, and I, and that speaks to why this part that the program that I'm in starts with, you know, practicing compassion towards um, someone who's really some really easy the puppy, you know, the niece, um, because it, it builds, you can build, build the practice and you can get to a place where you're actually able to show compassion towards someone who you, who you find very challenging um, or, you know, the, the difficult, the difficult customer. I mean, you don't start with Trump to get into politics, not get into politics. Um, you know, you're not going to start there because you, you're not going to be able to actually get that feeling, you know, and, and, and most people don't want to, you know, but when you start with the, um, the easy target and, and kind of develop the muscle because compassion, compassion exists inherently in us. You know, it's something that we were born with. And then it's something over time that we turn off due to societal pressures and why would you do that? And, and being hurt and having, you know, life's experiences and not being encouraged to be compassionate, but it's something that you can develop, um, you know, by, by not putting yourself, um, not giving yourself, not making it too difficult for yourself and not, not um, being too hard on yourself. You're not going to automatically just be like, "Oh, I want to be compassionate," and then you know have the compassionate response every every time something happens. It's not realistic. Um, I have my final questions, unless Christina or Matt have any other questions. No, I'm just over here getting my mind blown. So, yeah, like. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so we usually end on asking our guests what the future of hospitality looks like to you. Well, and this is, you know, sky's the limit. We never put boundaries on this. <laughs> I mean, it's, it has, it has evolved, you know, and I, I looked at the question and, and I feel really um, I feel like it's an overwhelming question because of where we are right now. Um, I'm already really impressed with um, how sophisticated things have gotten in the last 10 years um, and, I, and how many organizations have been developed in the last 10 years by people such as yourselves. Um, I mean, when you like, I, I remember when I met my when I met my husband. I never really had like a real cocktail, and it was like, you know, I'd had like Cosmopolitans in the '90s, you know. And then I met him in like 2006, and I was like, well, he's a bartender. And I remember I, I went and had had a drink, and I was like, what the fuck is this? Holy shit! This is like a this is a this is this is a thing. And and I had always been like, oh, you know, I I was a server. There are bartenders. We don't do this for our whole lives, you know. Um, it's restaurants are restaurants, whatever. And, um, and that changed my view, my view about what bartending was and what it is. And I had never had a problem with being a server or working in the restaurant. I, whenever people would say, well, what are you going to do next? I was always like, I like this. This is good. 
Um, I think I think the biggest difference and change that I see and that will continue to, to grow is that this is a lifestyle choice. It's um, it's it it can be a career, um, and it sh it and the stigma the stigma has been diminishing more and more. Um, so I guess what I'd like to see or what I do see happening more is with organizations like yours and with people like you and so many more of us in general who want to support the industry, I can see it becoming really a more stable environment. Um, and I, I can't, in my mind, I can't really get much greater than that. You know, I, I mean. Yeah, I think that's wonderful. Um, and then my last question is what does the future look like for you and how will you continue practicing and spreading happiness? Well, I'm, I'm in the short term, um, you know, I think I'm, I'm hopeful that I can start reaching out to brands um, and maybe hope, hopefully starting to do some of this compassionate um, training through the support of brands so I can do it on scholarship level. You know, will you give me a grant of this much money so I can get all of these people involved on a scholarship level to come and take these classes? Um, I am hopefully going to start building my website this year, um, basically a happiness tool, toolbox. All of the resources that I've used and use to try and you know get happier um books that i've read you know podcasts um you know articles um movies tv shows everything that i employ to try and um prop up my happiness my happiness level my baseline is really low so and happiness is something that you have to work on you know so um, my future is to try and figure out how to continue to develop that and share that with whoever is interested in, in receiving. It's a good question. I, I had a major breakdown last year after taking a course in purpose, um, reading books on purpose, and not being able to figure out what my purpose was. It's hard. I mean, if you decide you want to know what your purpose is in life and you have, and you, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a big question, you know, and, and for me, my, my purpose is to try and, you know, sp spread happiness or help people be happier. I just not entirely sure how that's going to play out in the end. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, we can't wait to observe and see it happen. I'm very excited to keep tabs on you in a non-creepy way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay with the creepy way. <laughs> I I really love what you guys are doing, and and I'm so thankful that you that you asked me to to join you. Um, I was I'm you know I feel like there are some areas that I wish I had answered a little bit differently, but it's you know it's a work in progress and. I was so excited to talk about this stuff. I'm always excited to talk about this stuff. And however I can help you guys and get the word out. And I'm, you know, I'm, I want to do that. 
Thank, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for being here. Thank you guys. I really appreciate you. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Um, yeah, no, this has been amazing. I think every time I talk about how amazing our guests are, but it's never, it's never a lie. <laughs> um, so we will, um, you know, tag you. And also I think that we'll attach some of those books and the programs that you mentioned. If anybody is curious about uh, learning more or even getting involved. Um, and if any of our viewers have any questions, we will redirect those to you um, and then answer those um, as well. So thank you. And I really appreciate thank it. Thank you. For sure. Yeah. As always, please hustle responsibly.